before I uh, bring God's word to us, uh, shall we pray? Dear Lord, thank you that uh, we have the privilege of meeting together, of opening your word, uh, of looking at it, of considering it, of thinking about what you want to say to us today uh, through it. We thank you that it's as relevant now as when it was first written and when the words were first said. Thank you for that, and thank you for what we will learn, and thank you that through learning we will be equipped to serve you better this week and in the weeks to come. Amen. Amen. A privilege uh, again to come and uh, speak to you. Um, I thought by offering to do two weeks on the trot, um, I would save myself some work, but actually, um, in this in this uh, particular passage, we find Jesus moving away from uh, Galilee, Galilee, sorry, uh, moving away from the, the, the sort of time that he'd spent teaching his disciples, and it, he's entering a new phase of his ministry. So actually, it's completely new, completely different, and I'm not really saving myself much work. But the exciting thing is that because it's very different, uh, it, it, you know, it was a very different uh, way I had to approach it. Uh, this week, and that was that was refreshing, and I I hope you'll find it refreshing and helpful uh, as we look um, through God's word together. Recently, I've been um, looking through uh, a lot of the stuff that I uh, rescued from my mum's house when when we sold it. So what Sarah and I did, we, we went over and spent I think it was four days in the end um, searching through, clearing out the house, ready for uh, a charity to come and, and take the rest. And, and mostly what we were looking for was things that had nostalgic value, um, that uh, you know meant something to my mum in particular, but to the family in general. So we were we were collecting uh, these things together, um, and, and and sometimes it just meant shoving things in bags and, and bringing them uh, along. So I was looking through it this week, um, and, uh, and and I found some uh, some stories that my I think my dad had collected because he used to do after dinner speaking. When he retired, he went out and became an after-dinner speaker. Went all over the north of England, actually. Um, never to Otley, but, but he got very close. And uh, <laughs> um, sort of circled round Otley. Um, lots, of, lots of different places around he, he came and spoke. And, uh, and he obviously he collected stories and, and things that he found. And, and, and there was this one, um, which, which I found. Uh, it's about a, a, a woman who had a... a, a a pet, a very dear pet, uh, a goose, in fact, a uh, very dear goose. Um, and, and one morning, the goose woke up and looked a little bit, you know, under the weather. And um, I mean, this went on actually for, for several days, and, and she got very, very worried. So she decided to take the goose to the vets, and uh, took took the uh, took the, the goose into the surgery. The vet. Uh, looked at it very quickly, in fact, you know, within seconds, and said, um, well, I'm very sorry, it is quite serious, it's got duckitis. <laughs> so she said, well, you know, I, 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 want, a, I want another opinion. You know, she wouldn't accept that it had duckitis, she wanted another opin- opinion. So the, the, the vet said, right, okay, you can, you, can have, you can have another opinion. So he called in a, a, a Labrador that was outside, waiting, and the Labrador came in and, and looked at the duck and shook its head, serious, serious, obviously serious, um, and then uh, and, and she said, no, no, I want another opinion, so he said, okay, so 
he called in a cat that was waiting outside. The cat came in, looked at the, the goose, shook its head, and he said, no, there you go, three opinions, it's, it's Ducitis, and that'll cost you £500. And she said, £500? He said, yeah, well, it was £50 for my opinion, and the rest is accounted for by the lab report and the cat scan. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes, sometimes, um, the diagnosis is the same, however you approach it. And that's a theme that we're going to come back to uh, as we look at this uh, particular um, story uh, from, uh, from, from Luke. Uh, from Luke? From Mark. Where are we? There we are. I wasn't patient. Um, kingdom in marriage. Uh, this is... Uh, this is the, uh, the um, Pharisees uh, coming to Jesus. Jesus has moved away from uh, Capernaum, away from Galilee, as we've been saying. Um, and in fact, he's moving now towards Jerusalem and uh, the, the climax of his ministry. So he comes south, and then he moves slightly east to the Jordan. So... This brings him into uh, territory which, uh, which John the Baptist had made his own some years previously. And that's a little bit of the, the context uh, for what we're going to look at. And I've got uh, five, five points for you today, so, so a couple of bonus points. Uh, Steve had seven the other, the other day, so I don't feel too bad about having an extra couple. There are, there are three, three points really from Jesus' teaching. Uh, but I want to give you some context, which is the conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees. And I also want to draw out a lesson um, for the way that we approach people who might uh, come to us and, and challenge our views as Christians um, from the way that Jesus did it. So if you like, those are your two bonuses, and then we'll get into the, the three points about Jesus' teaching. So firstly, uh, conflict. So it says, And he left there and went to the region of Judea, and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. Whenever Jesus saw crowds, he wanted to teach them. But the Pharisees interrupt. Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? This is not a genuine question. This is a question to test Jesus. And the context is not just that the Pharisees were always looking to trip Jesus up, they were always looking to test him. That's not, there's a little bit more context here um, for this conflict. Because I think they see a particularly um, uh, useful position uh, here. They, they actually see that Jesus is now in the area where John the Baptist taught. And we remember why John the Baptist lost his life. He lost his life because he criticised, he criticised very clearly and very robustly, uh, the marriage that Herod Antipas, um, who uh, was uh, the Tetrarch of Galilee, where Jesus came from, but also Perea, where John the Baptist taught and where Jesus is now. He was, if you like, the person under the Romans who was in charge of that area. He had... Um, he had organised to divorce his own wife and uh, his, get his brother's wife to divorce his brother and then they got married. 
And that uh, John roundly condemned. Jesus is now in the area um, where John taught. So maybe, maybe the disciples think, ah, we could ask a question here about divorce. So yes, divorce was an area of theological controversy, so they're hoping to trip Jesus up for that reason, perhaps. But I think also they're creating a particular jeopardy for Jesus here. They're actually asking him to comment on something that everybody would remember very well. It wasn't very long ago when John had been thrown in prison and then subsequently killed for criticising the divorce of, um, and remarriage of Herod and his wife. So I think there's a lot of jeopardy here for Jesus. And I think people will, um, will, will seek to exploit jeopardy when they, when they come and they criticise us and they question us. So that's the context, the conflict between the two and the, and the Pharisees trying to uh, put Jesus in a very difficult position. I want to draw one point from that before we uh, go on and look at what Jesus actually said. So Jesus answered them, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. Before we look at what Jesus said, here's something that Tim Farron said. Now you all know I'm a Liberal Democrat, um, and you'll all know that Tim Farron is a Liberal Democrat. Well, that's not the reason that I'm quoting Tim Farron today. Let's, let's, let's see what Tim Farron said. This is in his biography, autobiography, which is an interesting read. He said this. Um, he's talking about, the, I don't know if you remember a few years ago when he was leader, he got into a lot of trouble because he was asked about his opinions on, on marriage. And, uh, and, and this is what he said about the questions that he received from two particular interviewers. He said, with respect to both of them, neither Decker nor Kathy really wanted to understand. They both wanted to expose. Jesus Christ is the most honest person who ever lived. And yet he dodged more questions than most politicians I've met. <laughs> he didn't always give questioners the words they wanted to hear. Instead, he gave them the words they needed to hear. Notice that when the Pharisees come and ask Jesus this question uh, about divorce, he says... He says, or he, he, he turns it around and he asks them a question instead. Now Jesus did this quite a lot. Instead of giving an answer straight away, he asks the question. So he asks them, um, so they said, um, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he says to them, what did Moses command you? So he doesn't answer the question straight away. He asks them a question. And they answered, Moses allowed now notice their answer is not Moses commanded, it's Moses allowed. Why is that? Because they know that actually Moses didn't command anything. He just permitted something. He allowed something. So immediately Jesus is turning it back on them and making them think about the issue. And they are thinking about the issue because they can't answer Moses commanded. They have to answer Moses allowed. So I think Jesus is doing several things here. He's asserting his authority, yes, but he's exposing them, he's exposing their thinking, 
And I think he's laying the ground for what he wants to say. He's actually started to get them to think a little bit so that they're more open to what he wants to say. So he's not giving them the words they want to hear in Tim Farron's word. He's giving them the words they need to hear. I think, um, well, we know that as Christians we have to give an answer for the hope that is within us. Peter says, in your hearts, um, honour Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So we should be open to answering genuine questions in a genuine way, with gentleness and respect. That's important, and we should be prepared, by knowing our stuff, if you like, to be able to do that. But if the question is not genuine, then I think it's worth thinking about what Jesus used to do, which was, if you like, again, respectfully, going on the offensive and asking the, the questioner questions, because that will get them thinking. And I just thought, as, a, as an aside, before we look at what Jesus actually says, look, let's see how he prepares the ground for saying what he wants to say, by asking them questions, by asking them a question and getting them to think. In their answer, the Pharisees are thinking about and referring to Deuteronomy 24 verse 1, where the Mosaic law permits a man to divorce his wife for indecency. It says, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favour in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her and writes her a certificate of divorce, and then it goes on. They appeal to this law as their guide, but they've avoided going into detail. And they've accepted that it's a permission rather than a command. So they're beginning to think genuinely, as I said. The permission in the verse, in, uh, sorry, the permission in the verse was ambiguous. It just says indecency. Well, of course, what does indecency mean? Um, and in fact, there were, there were different views knocking around at that time about what this indecency might mean. So, uh, the school of Sharma, for example, said that this must be moral indecency, and they had quite a narrow view of what that indecency should be. But the school of Hillel said it could be interpreted much more widely. And one of the commentators said that even burning the cakes um, would be uh, indecent, and you could divorce, you, as a man, you could divorce your wife under the school of Hillel's. Um, interpretation for doing that. Um, I mean, incredible. But anyway, that apparently was, was what they were arguing. So the Pharisees themselves are having to admit, if you like, that, that, that there's not a command from Moses, there's a permission. The permission is um, in particular circumstances and there's not an agreement about what those particular circumstances should be. I think they're starting to feel slightly uncomfortable and now Jesus can say what he knows needs to be said. In his teaching, Jesus goes straight back to creation, to first principles. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. From the beginning of creation, God what does God think about this situation? What does God think about marriage and divorce? And you know, we need often to go back to God's first principles to find out 
um, how we should be living as humans in God's world. When we judge what's right and appropriate, we need to ask the question, what does the creator think? What does the creator want? What's the creator's plan? Now, that's not fashionable. It may be uncomfortable, but that's what we've got to do. What does the creator God want? What's the creator God's plan? If you go back to Genesis, you read things like this. Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. So at the, at the start, right from the beginning, God said, I'm in charge and there are rules. And of course, that obedience to God is the first principle that we read about. Also says, um, God created man in his own image. Well, what does that mean for us in terms of uh, how we should behave? Well, we should, we should be like God. In the sense, not of putting ourselves first, but in the sense of uh, displaying God's characteristics in the world. Showing people what God is like. Uh, we should worship God with our whole lives, that people might see God. Because we should be in God's image. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We have been given the command to look after the earth. And that requires us to take responsibility for the earth. These are things which are in God's creative plan. And it's not, as I said, fashionable these days. Uh, it can be very uncomfortable to go back and say, well, I believe in a God who created the heavens and the earth. And this is what he says we should do. And this is what he says, um, uh, how he says we should behave. So Jesus takes them back to the first principle and says, in creation, this is what God planned. And of course, a big aspect of God's creation is marriage. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. As I said, Jesus has gone right back to first principles. And one of the first principles is God's plan for marriage. And so he quotes Genesis. And the key idea, there, well there are several key ideas aren't there in, in, in marriage in Genesis. One is this key idea of coming together. Probably the key idea, co-union. Um, it is a word, I checked. Um, it just helps us to understand it, I think, co-union. It's the coming together of a man and a woman and making something new, making a new one thing. And that's what Jesus um, emphasises by reading this to them. Um, the two shall become one flesh. And because the two become one flesh, then splitting, if you like, that one flesh again, is, is just, it's not right. Because it breaks something that God has brought together. What therefore God has joined together, 
let not man separate. So God has a plan for marriage, which is of co-union, a, a lifelong union. Um, and we should not mess around with that. Because what we learn is that that marriage union is a picture of Christ and the church. And that makes it even more important that we should understand how that works. It's a picture of love and sacrifice, but also joy. Jesus was asked, um, another time when he was asked a tricky question, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The marriage of Jesus as the bridegroom and the church as the bride is a wonderful thing. And it's something to be celebrated and enjoyed and to get excited about. And therefore, of course, his disciples wouldn't be fasting because they'd be so excited and so so celebrating um, the fact that Jesus uh, had that relationship with them. Paul explains, doesn't he? Therefore, he quotes Genesis again, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying it refers to Christ and the church. So the picture when a man and a woman get married is, is, is of Christ marrying the church. Husbands. Paul says, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The joy in marriage is a picture of our joy in Jesus. The bond in marriage is a picture of Christ's commitment to us. Self-sacrifice in marriage is a picture of what Christ did for us. And I think the marriage service sums up, the marriage service um, sums up very, very well this idea of co-union of something that should not be separated, of something which is a picture of Christ and the church. The marriage service says this, Marriage is a gift of God in creation, through which husband and wife may know the grace of God. It is given that as man and woman grow together in love and trust, they shall be united with one another in heart, body and mind, as Christ is united with his bride, the church. So that's the introduction, emphasising that um, marriage is a gift of God in creation, um, that they will, that man and woman will be united, and that it's a picture of Christ and the church. And the vows pick up on that, don't they? Uh, you have to say, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death us do part, according to God's holy law. In the presence of God, I make this vow. This is God's plan, and it is not, Jesus says, for us to make a new plan. So marriage is a creation, is, is a creation ordinance. It's something established in creation by God for the benefit of people as a picture of Christ and the church. That's God's plan, and it is not for us to make a new plan. And that is what Jesus wants the disciples to hear. 
But, sorry, the, it's what he wants the Pharisees to hear. He also wants his disciples to hear it, but he wants the Pharisees to hear it. But notice then um, that Jesus and the disciples go into the house. So um, Jesus has made this big um, statement about God's creation plan for marriage, because that's what he thinks the Pharisees need to hear. Um, and then he goes into the he goes into the house with his disciples, and they ask him again about the matter. And Jesus um, takes it um, takes the teaching a bit further. First of all, he emphasises he emphasises the teaching that he's been giving to uh, the crowd and the, the, the Pharisees. He says, "Whoever divorces his wife, sorry, yeah, um, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery." against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery too. So he's emphasising that divorce and remarriage, in God's eyes, is adultery. There is a creation um, plan for marriage, and divorce and remarriage does not fit that plan. That's tough teaching, but that he emphasises. But then notice he goes a little bit further, because he says... Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Now in Jewish law, women did not have the right to divorce their husbands in the way that husbands have the right to divorce their wives. So a husband, as we've seen, could write, just say, I don't want to be married to you anymore, give a reason and write a certificate of divorce. Now, the certificate of divorce was a protection of sorts for the woman, but the woman didn't have a reciprocal right. So a woman could not divorce her husband by writing a certificate of divorce. So there was an inequality. Now, it was possible um, for a woman to go to court and say, um, you know, I I really can't carry on being married to my husband uh, for, for this reason. But the reasons were fairly restricted, and you were in the hands of the court um, you, in the way that the husband was not. So there was an inequality. Um, Jesus makes it equal here. There's no, there's no difference here between what he says about a man and a woman. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Jesus treats the man and the woman the same. Now he's not, he's not um, saying divorce is a good thing. We've already heard what he believes about marriage. But what he's saying is that there should be an equal treatment of men and women and equal protection for men and women. So uh, that is radical in the context of the day. Very radical. And um, maybe that's why he talks to his disciples about it rather than um, you know, pronouncing it in the public square because maybe the time wasn't right, you know, for him to be arrested. I mean, you know, I don't know. It's but it's radical stuff. But what he's saying is that the woman deserves the protection in the same way that the man does. Doesn't make divorce right, but if there is a you know, if there's a circumstance where a woman needs protection, she should get it. Um, perhaps even to the point of divorce. But divorce and remarriage. To emphasise, Jesus is saying divorce and remarriage in God's eyes is adultery. That's a hard message, but that is what he is saying. 
So, in a sense, that teaching leaves us with a problem because what it's saying is that um, we've got pe- we've got God's God setting out um, His standards in creation and people failing to meet those standards. So let's just go back a moment for our last point um, to what Jesus said to the Pharisees. Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. There's a disjunct between God's plan and God's standards and human ability, fallen human's ability to keep that commandment. Um, Adam and Eve um, had every chance going. They failed um, to meet God's standards and we fail every day to meet God's standards because we have a hardness of heart towards God and for that reason towards other people as well. We fail to meet God's standards. So Jesus was saying there's a the big big story if you like is that there's this gap between God's plan, God's standards and our ability to meet them. And of course that drives us back to Jesus. Uh, humans have rebelled against God's perfect plan in creation. So we, we at the start we had uh, the fact that we needed to be obedient to God's law. We shouldn't be eating of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well Adam and Eve ate of that tree. They were disobedient and so are we. We've not lived, have we, as an image of God. We've got fractured relationships. We're selfish. We're arrogant. We don't live in worship to God day by day. We've not used our power over nature with responsibility. We're marring God's creation. And we've failed consistently to copy Jesus' commitment to the church in our commitment to each other in marriage. Um, and, you know, wherever we look, humans are failing. Whenever we look at ourselves, we see our failure. The big issue is the hardness of heart. And the only answer to hardness of heart is to throw ourselves on Christ's mercy. Paul says in Romans 3, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But marvellously, Paul goes on to say, as we know, straight away, all are also justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. All questions, all issues, all of the human condition, if you like, bring us back to the problem of the human heart, our rebellion against God, our hardness of heart, and our need for Jesus' offer of mercy. So, this morning we may have seen a little bit about how Jesus dealt with uh, a challenge from the Pharisees. We may have seen a little bit about how he dealt with the issue of marriage, some tough teaching, some clear teaching about marriage. But actually, the big underlying issue is this problem here that he highlights, your hardness of heart. That's the only reason that Moses had that issue to deal with. And it's the reason that Jesus came. So this morning, you know, whatever we think about anything else, whatever we think about marriage, that's the big issue. And we need to throw ourselves again this morning on Jesus' mercy and accept that we cannot live in the way 
that God planned in creation for us to live. We're, we're incapable of doing so. And therefore we need Jesus' mercy, God's forgiveness. Um, and we need to, again today, ask for that. Uh, and ask that we might have God's strength to live a more effective uh, life for him this week. Should we pray? Dear Lord, um, thank you for your uh, effectiveness in teaching. Thank you for the way that you give us a model of how to deal with uh, difficult questions, um, with jeopardy as Christians. But thank you most of all for the clarity of your teaching, the fact that you um, pulled no punches, the fact that you told people what they needed to hear. But even more than that, we thank you that um, you went to Jerusalem, you went to the cross, you died there for us, and three days later you were resurrected as evidence that your death was effective. Uh, the, the gap between we humans who cannot meet God's standards and the perfect God was bridged in your death and that our failings are covered by your blood. Lord, help us this morning to um, confess again our sins, to ask again for your mercy and renew our vows uh, to you as our bridegroom uh, to live and to work um, to your praise and glory. Amen. Amen. Amen.